Please turn to Ecclesiastes 8. We're going to continue our series in Ecclesiastes. Last week, Tab talked about those times when we are confused. That confusion is there because of sin. But God untangles that confusion with his truth and reorients us to a deeper understanding of life. And this week, in Ecclesiastes 8, we want to look at what wisdom looks like in that confused and sinful world. So let's pray together before we read God's word. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, may the Spirit of God rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. Amen. Joe, will you read the passage for us? Ecclesiastes 8. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of, th of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's troubles lies heavy on him. For he does not know what it is to be or, what, or who can tell him how it will be. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor wickedness deliver, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This, is also, this also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity, and I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do, I, do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Thank you, Joe. Uh, we have some visitors with us this morning. Um, 
that are very small, that are usually not with us this morning. They're the kids. So it might be a little louder this morning than usual. I, I, I just want you to know, I don't mind. I hope, I hope you don't either. This is, this is wonderful to have the kids here, and, and I'm just so very grateful for you parents who are wrangling them and keeping them here today. So uh, thank you. Um, let's get into this. The writer of Ecclesiastes commends wisdom to us in verse 1. He says, who is like the man who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom make his, makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. Wisdom, he says, is good. Yet in the previous chapter, he introduced us to a reality that we have all faced, the reality of sin. Because of sin, we see bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people, and it doesn't make any sense. And it presents us with a dilemma. What does wisdom look like in a sinful and broken world? People disappoint you. Justice seems to be absent or broken. Trials come our way that are no fault of our own. So what does wisdom look like in the middle of all of this? In the middle of a sinful and broken world. What does wisdom look like in a world that is confused by sin? Well, let's start with one practical example that we might all relate to. What if you, what if you are forced to live under an authority you don't agree with? Does that, does that happen to anyone? I, I, think, I think that's common to all of us. In that situation, we need wisdom for flawed authorities. Please turn with me to verse 2. The preacher says, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Why do we keep the king's command? Because God put him in power. The preacher tells us to submit to authority even though it isn't perfect. In fact, he tells us to submit to them even when they are generally bad. Look at what he says about all human authority in verse 9. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun. When man had power over man to his hurt. The preacher is saying that when sinful humans are in charge of other humans, it, it really seldom works out well. The result of this is predictable. Some leaders are better than others, but every one of them has flaws that eventually will show up. Why is it like this? Well, he already told us. He already told us in chapter 7, verse 20. We, we went over this last week. Surely, there is not a righteous man on the earth. There is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Even the best people are corrupted by sin. That's why all human authority is imperfect. And submitting that to them, that can be frustrating. 
So who frustrates you? Is it your boss? Maybe it's a teacher. A coach? Who makes your life hard because they are an imperfect authority, because of their imperfect leadership? Maybe it's even your elders here at Grace Church. You know, the, the six of us really, really try to lead well. We pray for God's guidance, and, and we lean upon each other to check our individual flaws, but um, we, we know very well that we aren't always right. And we certainly fall into the category of sinners. So we ask you, please pray for us. Knowing that all human leaders are not perfect, and they might do things that frustrate you, how are you supposed to deal with all of this? The preacher starts with practical advice, and here's where we start. Verse 3, be not hasty to go from his presence, and do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? There's a clear command here. If your leader is planning to do something evil, do not join him or her. Engage that leader courageously, yet respectfully, to encourage justice. Now, he tells us how to do that. He tells us how to do that by offering us two extremes. On the one hand, don't be hasty to go from his presence. Don't avoid him. Avoiding him is not going to solve anything. On the other hand, don't say to him, what are you doing? In other words, don't confront him disrespectfully and don't start an angry email with, hey, dummy, I have some questions for you. There's a middle road here. There's a middle road that the preacher tells us will get you heard. Approach the authority respectfully. And that's the first advice from the, from the preacher. Let's go on. He has more. Verse 5. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although a man's trouble lies heavy on him. Timing is everything. Timing is everything. The preacher says that a wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. There is a proper time to present your case. We all know this. So I ask you, what keeps us from being sensitive to the proper time and the just way? I think, I think perhaps it's our emotions. The preacher says, a man's trouble lies heavy on him. So how many times has trouble taken over your mind? Something bothers you and, and you're hooked on it. Do, do you ever rehearse a conversation in your head? Mumbling both sides of the argument to yourself? Guess not. I, I, maybe I'm the only crazy person who does that. <laughs> no, I think maybe, we, maybe many of us do. A couple weeks ago, I was walking through my office. I was deep in thought. 
And I was muttering out loud. <sighs> and I didn't know it. And my, my assistant looked at me and she said, uh, can I help you with something? And I said, no. No, I'm sorry. I, I told her, I, I was just having an argument in my head. My, my assistant has a great sense of humor. She looks at me and says, are you winning? <laughs> no. I really wasn't winning the argument. I was just getting myself wound up because trouble lies heavy upon me. My obsession with it was making it worse. My emotions, my emotions were getting in the way of finding the proper time and the just way. The preacher offers us more help in verse 7. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? What does he mean by that? I think he's trying to tell us, calm down. Because we don't know everything. We don't know the future. We may not even know everything about the present. We may not even know things that that leader knows. So a little humility goes a long way to calm our hearts and start a respectful conversation. That ends the preacher's practical advice on how to deal with imperfect leaders. He tells us to encourage justice, approach the leader with humility, with respect and good timing. Say that again. Encourage justice, approach them with humility, respect, and good timing. That's our practical wisdom from the preacher. Sounds a lot like Proverbs, doesn't it? But here is where Ecclesiastes is a little different and goes a little deeper. The preacher tells us that you might do all these things. You might do everything right and it still may go badly. See verse 8. No man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor wickedness deliver those who are given to it. He's saying that it's risky to engage authorities. In the ancient world, the king might not like what you say, and he may have you killed. He might have you killed, or he might have you sent off to war. Today, you may not risk death, but you may lose something. You might lose a job, a position on the team, a friendship, a reputation, or, or, or perhaps even a chance to get into college. And that's simply the way it is. The preacher says that's simply the way it is in a sinful world. Sometimes you do the right thing and it turns out badly. The preacher said this before. The wicked that live long, comfortable lives while the righteous suffer. Our hearts tell us that practical wisdom should lead to good things. But that's not always true in a world thoroughly infected by sin. That can be confusing and disheartening. So in a sinful world, we need more than practical wisdom. We need wisdom for confused consequences. 
in a sinful world, we need wisdom for confused consequences. Follow me in verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Now Joshua told us earlier, he told us earlier about some horrific acts that were done by trusted pastors. These trusted pastors at one time were probably admired in their church. They used to go out, in and out, of the holy place and were praised. While at the very same time, they were doing unspeakable evil to the most vulnerable among us. And where is justice for that? This is one of the problems. This is one of the problems we have when we look and we are confused by our sinful world. He goes on in verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. And then in verse 14, there's a vanity that take pla takes place on the earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. This is vanity. It seems pointless. What is the point of living a righteous life when the consequences for good and evil seem entirely disconnected from our actions. <clears throat> you know, in, in some neighborhoods around San Diego, <coughs> the people with the best cars and the most cash are the drug dealers on the corners. That's right. We see that. The neighborhood kids see that too. And they think, huh, maybe that's okay. Nice guys finish last. The preacher tells us, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil because nothing seems to happen to these people. This is the problem. So much of life under the sun doesn't make sense. So much of it is corrupted by sin and that's why we need wisdom for confused consequences. In my work, I'm occasionally invited to the opening or groundbreaking for a new medical building. Now, the, these events are really important for the community because they add new life-saving technology to our hospitals. But one of these events I attended kind of bothered me. Hundreds of people had gathered to honor a local businessman who had donated money to build the new facility. At the ceremony, many of my friends got up to say wonderful things about this man. They praised his virtue and his generosity. It was all so beautiful, if it were only true. 
See, I, I knew this man. I worked with this man. His ego was large and very fragile. A meeting with him was commonly known as a pilgrimage to kiss the ring. <laughs> he was mean. He took revenge on anyone who stood in the way of his plans. Yet we all had to work with him because of his money and power. The same people who praised his virtues on this stage, they privately told me that they were afraid of him. So they honored him with this elaborate ceremony. Frankly, he, he had threatened me a couple of times, and, and, and I was a little afraid of him myself. The preacher addresses this in verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Don't fear this angry, vindictive man. Does it matter that he lives a comfortable 70 years on, his, on the earth and that his name is bolted to the top of this building in bronze letters? Why do you envy and fear this evil man? Even though you don't see justice on this earth, justice is coming. Justice is coming for everyone. In John 5, Jesus tells us that there will be justice. He says, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And when justice comes, will anyone care about the bronze letters on this building? You know, I recalled they had to tear another building down, an old building, to make room for this one. The wrecking ball came and reduced the old building to dust. The old building had bronze letters on it, too. It bore the name of someone who gave a million dollars to build it and died 50 years ago. His bronze letters were taken away by the same dump truck that removed the dust left by the wrecking ball. And that's the preacher's point. This is all vanity, what we see under the sun. But for you, for you, for you who fear God, verse 12 says, it will be well with you. You will be raised to the resurrection of life. Those who believe in God, submit to God, receive forgiveness through sin, through Christ. For them, for you, the things that await you in eternity are beyond, they are beautiful beyond description.
and they continue forever. But there's more that the preacher needs to tell us about life in this world. Drop down with me in verse 16, where the preacher continues. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done, under the, done on the earth, how neither day nor, or, nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, <clears throat> he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. <clears throat> Do you feel this frustration? Do you feel it? He applied his heart to know wisdom. He wanted the answers. He carefully studied everything that he has seen under the sun. And he comes to this grand final conclusion of, I don't know. I don't know. I studied. I tried. I looked so deeply into all these things, and I don't know. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. No matter how smart you are, how much you study, or how hard you try, you will never, ever be able to figure it all out. So, so what are we supposed to do with all of that? He tells us in verse 15. <clears throat> he says, And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil throughout the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Now that's totally unexpected. <laughs> Look at everything he has said about this world. How dark, how confusing it is when we live under the sun. And then he says, I come in joy? How does that make any sense at all? Oh, but it does. It does. Throughout all of Ecclesiastes, the preacher has been trying to tell us why. See, it doesn't make sense to us because we're immersed in a world that tells us to seek joy by ignoring all the problems. The world tells us that joy will arrive when we look on the bright side of life. Just change your attitude and turn that frown upside down. Or maybe the famous song. I'm going to try this. In this life we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry, be happy now. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> All that, <laughs> you're very gracious. All that is well-intentioned, and I get it. 
But the foundation of that philosophy tells us that our biggest problem is our attitude. And that's just not true. It's not true. Our biggest problem is sin. And sin is not overcome by positive thoughts. Look, suffering is real. Suffering seeks us out because this world is completely infused by sin that seeks to destroy us. The preacher has gone through all these examples of life under the sun simply to put a face on sin. People oppress people. Bad things happen to good people. The wicked enjoy long, comfortable lives, and justice is apparently nowhere to be found. It's not hard to put a face on sin. It's not hard today. Just look at the headlines in the news this week. In East Africa, 11 million people right now are starving to death because of a drought in sub-Saharan Africa. In Ukraine, Russian soldiers shoot young families in cars. And they shoot old men for just riding their bicycles down the street. Closer to home, we see that trusted pastors abuse women and children. And no one does anything about it. And in Texas, an 18-year-old boy goes into an elementary school and kills nine small children and two of their teachers. This is the face of sin. Sin is darker and more deeply infused in this world than we can ever fully understand. And the preacher, he wants you to see that. He wants you to feel it. He wants you to hear the stories of the abused. Hear them with their lives changed forever. He wants you to see the desperation of African mothers watching their children die knowing that there is nothing that they can do. He wants you to feel the unspeakable grief of mothers and fathers who can no longer hug their children. They did nothing to that disturbed and angry young man, yet wickedness visited them in this awful, awful way. He wants you to see that. He wants you to feel the weight of all of this. This is the face of sin. This is why God's anger and judgment is stirred when he sees it. He wants you to remember all of this. All this desperation. All this pain all this grief, and he wants you to remember 
that this was seen and deeply felt by our Savior. In that moment when he hung on the cross, he felt all of it. And he carried it. And he carries your sin simply because he loves you. It is because of Jesus and only because of Jesus that we have hope. Christians, we are the people who can live with authentic joy because we have real hope. We are the only ones who can live with authentic joy. And that's why he says, I commend joy. We are the only ones who can live with authentic joy because we have a real hope. We know that what we see under the sun is not the full story. Authentic joy is a gift from God. Authentic joy has its source and its character. It, is, it has its source in his character, and it is empowered by his promises. Romans 15, 14 says, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Joy, hope, and peace are connected to truth that is revealed through God's word and by the Holy Spirit. So if you are not living with a sense of joy today, it is time to pray. It is time to pray that the Holy Spirit fill you with joy and peace because of his promises and the truth that you know. Now let's be honest. Suffering's real. But Christian jo and Christian joy, it doesn't cancel out the suffering. But suffering does not cancel out the joy. Let's not pretend it isn't hard. If we pretend there is no hardship, then we don't understand our Bibles right. But it is also true that if we are not joyful Christians, we don't understand our Bibles right and we're not living right. Please turn with me, if you will, to, to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, just close these eyes and take these words into your heart. These words are important. These words should move you. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to 
an inheritance, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Let me say that again. In this, in these promises, you rejoice. Authentic joy is a gift from God. And authentic joy is cultivated as we remind ourselves and each other of the promises of Christ. So when we look into the face of sin, we realize that wisdom is in the cross. At the place where sin collides with wisdom, Jesus stands with hope. It is in that hope that we fear God and find joy. I'll say that again. It is in that hope that we fear God and find joy. Let's pray. <coughs> Gracious Lord, as we ponder the darkness and depth of sin in this world, we are even more thankful for your grace to us. Acts of pure evil remind us that sin seeks to destroy all that is good, beautiful, and pure in your creation. We grieve over the acts we have seen this week and pray for your comfort to those who have been sinned against. We also reflect on your great mercy, how you, Jesus, confronted and took upon yourself all these things to bring us life. It is you and you alone who bring us hope. By the power of your Holy Spirit, may we fully understand this and rejoice in the inheritance you have provided that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, which you alone guard for us by your power. In this way, we have joy. It is in your Son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray all these things. Amen.